Hi, and welcome to The Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast brought to you with the support of Medical Mutual. I'm your host, Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. Hunger has always been a problem in Northeast Ohio, but that issue became magnified during this coronavirus pandemic as all of a sudden people found themselves without jobs or reduced hours without enough money to put food on their tables. They turned to an organization who for the last four decades has been helping with that issue, Greater Cleveland Food Bank. We're here to talk to the president and CEO of the food bank, Christian Mazorka, about how they help people through the pandemic and how they're positioning themselves with some new features to be able to do that even better here in the future. Christian, thanks for joining us today. Of course. Thanks for having me. So let's go back to March 2020. Governor DeWine issues the stay-at-home order. How soon thereafter do you discover demand is going up and going up rapidly? Um, you know, we we had a sense of uh, how how the need was skyrocketing almost right away. Um, we have traditionally for quite a number of years now, in addition to all of the food, we of course provide to our network of a thousand partner programs in six counties. We have done a monthly fresh produce distribution out of our facility in the Collinwood Yards neighborhood. Um, This is um, a community uh, with lots of need and uh, frankly, not enough agencies who have the capacity to distribute large amounts of fresh produce. And so, and so we do that the third Thursday of every month. Um, and we decided we were going to do that again. Um, but of course, for safety reasons and the health of all of our clients, that we would turn that to a drive-through distribution. And, you know, we weren't sure what to expect in terms of turnout. We feared we might have a large turnout and we were just blown away, uh, by the number of families who turned to us for help on that Thursday. Um, you know, traditionally, you know, a holiday distribution, if we served a thousand people, it would be a big, big effort. Uh, You know, I think we saw 1,200 or 1,400 families, not individuals, at that first distribution. Uh, We knew immediately that we couldn't wait a month to do another one. Um, And so we scheduled an additional drive-through for one week later, the following Thursday. Um, And that that distribution was even bigger. Um, We had cars miles long in every direction. uh, from the food bank. It's so many cars, as a matter of fact, that we had traffic copters hovering overhead, reporting on the horrible traffic um, at the eastbound shoreway near East 152nd Street. Um, and, and we had, you know, we have businesses nearby, folks starting on second shifts who literally couldn't get to work because the entire neighborhood was essentially, you know, locked up with one massive traffic jam. So, so we knew that that was not sustainable or frankly safe. Um, uh, you know, emergency vehicles couldn't get in or out should there have been a need to. Thankfully, there wasn't. Um, and so we called the city of Cleveland and asked if there was any possible way we could use the Muni lot for a little while, um, anticipating that it would be a little while. Uh, thank, thankfully, they obliged. And so the third Thursday, we moved the distribution um, to the Muni lot. And it wasn't long before we served 3,600 families. Um, that's more than 10,000 people in one afternoon. And um, we have continued doing a weekly distribution in the Muni lot uh, every week since then. Um, we'll be, you know, back in the Muni lot next Thursday. This is The Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast. More of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a word from our partner, Medical Mutual. You mentioned that one of the issues immediately is people weren't able to come in, so you had to do this outside with cars. What kind of what other problems did you run into right away that either you anticipate or maybe didn't even anticipate? <laughs> what sorts of issues did you find yourself with, oh my, now what are we going to do? What problems came up? 
you know, we had we had a number of problems that um, came up almost overnight and all at once. So, of course, there was skyrocketing need. One may have anticipated that, although I don't think we fully understood um, how severe it would be or how long it would last. But other issues um, that we saw very quickly um, were, for example, uh, loss of volunteers. So, you know, the food bank here at the food bank, we run a large community food distribution center. Out of this distribution center, we distributed 57 million pounds of food last year. Much of that food is sorted, repackaged by volunteers or made into meals into our production kitchen. Volunteers are the lifeblood of this organization. And while we certainly have some individual volunteers, the majority of them, frankly, come in groups. They're coming with a corporation or a school group. And so when the stay-at-home order went into effect and corporations were no longer gathering and schools weren't in person, well, they weren't coming to the food bank either. So we had about 1,400 volunteers cancel uh, in the first two weeks of the pandemic. We can't do this work without volunteers. So thankfully, um, uh, we, we had a meeting of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, an emergency meeting on a Sunday morning. Um, and we asked the governor to send in the National Guard to deploy National Guard soldiers to food banks across our state, because all 12 food banks in Ohio that do what we do, were having the same problem at the same time. And we were thrilled that he did. We had National Guard soldiers assigned to our food bank within a week, um, about 75 full-time soldiers who were able to replace all of their all of our volunteers at the beginning and also supplement our staff because we had so much additional work to do. Um, another issue that may catch people by surprise is that, you know, food banks, when we were first founded 40 plus years ago, um, it was in an effort to take surplus food from the food industry that might otherwise go to waste and then distribute it to nonprofit agencies who were pro providing food to people in need. Um, and that concept has worked and more than 50 percent um, of the food we distribute in a normal year, typical year comes in through food donations from the food industry, manufacturers, retailers, distributors, farmers, et cetera. Well, you know, everybody rushed to the grocery stores to stock up. And so, you know, you may remember, I remember seeing empty shelves at our local supermarkets. Well, if there's empty shelves at a supermarket, it's a sign that there's a real problem um, in the supply chain. And so surplus food essentially evaporated overnight. Our food donations dropped by 50% in the first month of our response to the pandemic. And so all of these things um, happened at once. You also deal with partner agencies who are a big help yes. to the food bank. Yes. I would imagine they probably had people not coming in and, and not being able to open, which probably presented a whole nother set of problems. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, within a week or two, we started um, to hear and to see um, that a number of our partner agencies, as a matter of fact, a few hundred of the 1,000 we serve um, had to close their doors. You know, we provide after-school meals and summer meals, typically at about 100 different um, program sites to kids in need. Many of these sites are located at schools or they're located at community centers and schools closed. And so not only did you know, kids in our community who really rely on them and not have access to free and reduced price breakfast and lunches, suddenly they didn't have access to that after-school meal either. Um, we also have senior partners who are um, providing meals, you know, uh, lunch, for example, to seniors um, to make sure that they can stay healthy. And all those senior sites closed out of safety, right? And so, um, so there was more demand 
and there were fewer agencies open to meet the need. And so um, that's also the reason that we took our mini lot distribution to a weekly distribution to try to fill some of that gap. And also, frankly, developed some other new initiatives very quickly um, to try to make sure that there was food available. Greater Cleveland Food Bank has been around for four decades. During that time, we've had some severe economic downturns, in particular in 2008. But is this the worst you think you've ever seen it? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was here um, for the last recession in, in 2008. And um, and I, my recollection and our experience then is that certainly the need for food increased, but it increased a little bit more gradually. It increased over time. Um, you know, this time it increased overnight and it skyrocketed well beyond what we saw in the recession. Um, I think that one of the similarities we may find is that um, even when the recession was um, over technically and on paper, um, we were still serving many more clients than we had pre-recession. I fear that that will be the case again. Um, you know, we are a year into the pandemic um, you know, I'm thrilled as so many people are about vaccinations going out and about um, the flexibility that gives so many of us and the peace of mind. Um, but the fact is, the numbers are still very, very high when we look at turnout in the muni lot. And, you know, we are planning for a five-year pandemic response. Let's say the pandemic hadn't happened, the most wishful thinking of all. What yeah. Pre-pandemic, what was the largest group of uh, people who were coming to the food bank in terms of uh, uh, terms of maybe not as many five years ago that are coming now? Mm -hmm. do, do, can you look at that and have an idea of who that might be? So, um, you know, for years, uh, we've known that more than a third of the clients we serve are children. One of the things that, and, and that's always been something we've been concerned about, uh, you know, hungry kids can't learn, they don't grow, they're not as healthy. Um, and so, you know, we've developed um, some wonderful programming and a list of amazing partners, like some of the school partners that I mentioned and community partners to try to develop creative ways to get healthy food to kids in need. But I'll tell you, one of the things that happened during the pandemic when kids didn't have access to in-person school is that child hunger and child food insecurity just skyrocketed um, and increased by 50% from uh, 19 to 20. Um, and in 2020, um, child food insecurity in our community uh, was about 30%. That's almost one in three kids. I'm not sure we appreciate as a community or frankly as a nation how important uh, school breakfasts and lunches are to kids. And whether they're in poverty or whether they're 150% of poverty, it's just a vital resource. And so in addition to the learning loss of the past year, um, the loss of those meals has been crippling for a lot of families. One of the things I keep hearing is that food insecurity doesn't happen in a vacuum, that it's often tied to other issues. What are some of the ways the food bank is trying to help people deal with those other issues that tie up with food insecurity? That's a great question. Thanks for asking. So for a number of years, we've had a help center here at our facility. And um, the help center is available Monday through Friday for anyone who's in need of food. They can call us and we will connect them to a partner agency in their neighborhood. Because many times people don't realize that the church down the street also has a food pantry, particularly if they're in need for the first time. But in addition to um, connecting them with an agency in their neighborhood as a short-term solution to address hunger today, um, you know, provide that emergency food, our health center team and our outreach team also do a couple of things. They talk with callers and they talk with community members about whether or not um, they might be eligible for, uh, for assistance through the SNAP program, formerly known as food stamps. 
for Medicaid. Um, and we're one of the only nonprofits in the state that help people apply for public benefits they're eligible for over the phone. And that provides clients with a little bit of stability. Um, in addition to that, we also um, talk to clients about some of the other challenges that they may be having that are contributing to their food insecurity, their need for food. Um, and the fact is, you know, most, most often those are issues associated with housing, with employment, or with health care. And so um, we connect clients um, with other nonprofits who um, are experts um, in one of those spaces. And, you know, the hope is that, um, you know, by connecting someone to, say, employment training, right, in addition to providing food um, and maybe helping them complete a SNAP application, you know, um, if that employment training uh, is effective, it can position them for a better plan paying job in the future. You know, the fact is, um, that when we look at the numbers, when I look at the numbers, you know, you can work full time, 40 hours a week. If you're making minimum wage and you've got one child at home, um, you're more or less in poverty. If you've got two kids at home, you're absolutely below 100 percent of poverty. Um, and even if you're making $15 an hour, which I think is a wage that a lot of organizations aspire to, um, you're still going to be having a pretty hard time making ends meet. Uh, and, and you're still eligible for food from the food bank. This is The Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. We're supported by Medical Mutual. We're talking with Kristen Rizorka. She is the president and CEO of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. Kristen, you're a busy person, so I'm sure you get a few minutes. Do you ever have, what are you doing for fun to take a little break from all of this? <laughs> this sounds too, like too much to me. <laughs> uh, well, it's been a busy year. There's no doubt about it. Um I haven't had too much time for fun, but I do. I do have uh, two fabulous kids and a wonderful husband who's very supportive. And uh, occasionally, we get a break for some uh, athletic abilities on weekends. I also spend a lot of time um, in the evenings driving carpool these days um, as the parent of a 15-year-old. So uh, you know, it's a nice way to catch up with my kids. <laughs> That's just curious because I thought, oh, Kristen, this is a lot. <laughs> it's been quite a year. <laughs> So remind us again, who's eligible to come to the Greater Cleveland Food Bank? Is there, is there a particular criteria one has to meet? We provide food to anyone up to 200% of poverty. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, more than half of the people we serve um, are between 130% and 200% of poverty, meaning they're not eligible for any sort of other public assistance. Um, to give you a sense of that, so 200% of poverty um, for a family of three, these numbers change every year, is about $44,000 a year. Um, and we often see people who are coming in times of emergency. Uh, you know, they're not necessarily turning uh, to the food bank or turning to one of our partner agencies every month. They turn to one of our partner agencies when, when something happens. You know, hours are cut at work. Um, the car breaks down and they need to put their grocery bonnet, uh, budget to the car repair um, so that they continue to, you know, get the places they need to be, like, like to work, um, medical emergencies, someone has an unexpected medical bill, or they're out of work because, you know, because of an incident, um, or because they're sick. So um, oftentimes, we are, we're uh, addressing a temporary need. We talked a little bit about the organizations that supply you directly with food. And there sounded like an interesting program that you worked with farmers during this time that helped them as well as the food bank. Yes. So we are very lucky. Um, as a member of the Ohio Association of Food Banks, we have a great partnership with the state of Ohio. It's been funded for more than 20 years in the state budget, the operating budget, and it provides all of the food banks across Ohio 
Uh, with last year, $24 million, which we were able to use in a couple of ways. One was to buy surplus produce from Ohio farmers. You know, a lot of us don't think about what happens if um, a farmer brings in a crop and doesn't have enough buyers. And, um, and, and some of us saw this uh, in the national media when the pandemic first hit. You know, suddenly farmers didn't have restaurants or, frankly, school lunch programs to sell to. And they were in crisis as well. Well, for years now, we've been using those dollars to buy that surplus from uh, farmers in our state. We can buy it at pennies on the pound. It's about 30 cents a pound, if I remember correctly. Um, It's wonderful fresh produce. And then we distribute it um, at no charge through our network of partner agencies. So it's a really wonderful public-private partnership that supports farmers in our state and also supports the partners and clients we serve. Um, This year, we're expecting about 10 million pounds of uh, food from those state food programs, fresh produce, and then also some other purchased food. It's just a lifesaver. The food bank's getting ready to get a new building underway. In addition to your current home, the one on Waterloo, what led to the decision that it was time to have another building or a new building for the food bank? Yeah. So um, we're an organization that's very committed to strategic planning. It's such an important part of what we do. Um, Our last strategic planning process took place in 2018, along with our board and with input from our entire staff. Um, And we realized at that time that if we continued on our current trend, you know, as we work to make sure that everyone in our community has the nutritious food they need every day, you know, we're trying to provide more food every year to do that. And, and, you know, in general, you know, we might provide a million or a million and a half more pounds of food year over year, right? Um, as, As we work towards that goal, we knew that we would be getting very tight on space, um, in a number of years, uh, if we didn't find ways to build our capacity. And so we decided at that point in 2018 that we needed to do some sort of capital expansion. Uh, we started planning for that, took a hard look at our distribution, developed projections, et cetera. And uh, as we were moving forward, of course, the pandemic hit. And so, um, last year, uh, in our fiscal year, 2020, we distributed 9 million more pounds of food than the previous year. So we went from knowing at some point we were going to need more space to being totally, absolutely out of space (laughs) Um, in a very short period of time. And so, you know, the additional capacity that we knew we needed at some point has become absolutely urgent. Um, And so we are moving forward with a great deal of urgency um, to build a new community food distribution center. Uh, We are thrilled that a piece of land has been donated to us on Coit Road uh, by the DiGeronimo family. Um, It's only five minutes from our current facility. Um, It's a piece of land that's been cleaned up, that's been vacant for 40 years. Um, uh, You know, we think it's going to be a great location for us. Not only is it efficient and close to our current facility, but, you know, I think that we're going to be great for that neighborhood, for this neighborhood, but that, you know, that part of it. Um, And I think it's going to be great for us, too. So, We broke ground a couple of weeks ago, um, and we are trying to have uh, this new community food distribution center open, knock on wood, um, by next summer, um, which, you know, is an incredibly aggressive timeline. There's no doubt about it, but, but the need is urgent. The new facility then will be a distribution center. What will you do with the, your, the current facility? How will that be repositioned? Correct. Once the community food distribution center is open and we relocate our distribution efforts, um, we will be renovating our facility here on South Waterloo Road into a client service center. And so as part of this client service center, we will create an on-site food bank run food pantry, which we do not currently have. Um, imagine, imagine a 7-Eleven um, full of healthy food. 
where a client can come in um, and essentially shop, uh, but the food will be available at no cost to them. They can make selections that their family will enjoy, that are appropriate to their diet, um, that can help them lead healthier lives. Um, and so that is part of it. Um, it will also be open both evening and weekend hours, because one of the things that we know is that more than 50% nationally of clients at food pantries are working, um, but struggling to make ends meet. Um, and the fact is, if you're working a full-time job, it can be very, very hard to get to a food pantry, you know, between 10 and 4 um, uh, on a Monday afternoon. And, and these food pantries, who are wonderful partners, um, you know, many of them are run by volunteers. Very few are open 40 hours a week. Sometimes they're only open, you know, the third Wednesday of the month. And so, um, and so the evening and weekend hours will help um, more people. Uh, who are in need of emergency food access it at this site on South Waterloo. Um, in addition, it gives us a space to really build out this work we've been doing around connecting clients to benefits, to improve stability, um, and also connecting clients to other nonprofit partners. Um, we will be inviting other nonprofits who serve clients directly um, and who can help our shared clients address the underlying issues of hunger to cohabitate and co-locate with us. So we are seeing this as a, uh, a client service center with wraparound services. Um, so we can address hunger today through that food pantry, but also end hunger tomorrow. The notion of the food pantry is an interesting one to me because I often think to myself, well, the food bank is going to provide a set of meals, but they can't really custom tailor them to, to each individual. But this would give people more of an opportunity to deal with their own diets then, right? I mean, Absolutely. You know, we have, um, we have a dietitian on staff as well as nutrition educators. And we know that about a third of the clients we serve have someone in their household with diabetes. And about two thirds of the households we serve have someone with hypertension. And so we've been developing relationships for years now with healthcare partners who also serve low-income patients struggling to manage their disease because they can't afford the nutritious food um, that's so critical. And so this is another opportunity for us to connect those dots. Um, you know, this food pantry is going to be um, full of nutritious food, lots of fresh protein, uh, fresh produce, lean proteins. And so if someone comes in with diabetes, um, they can make selections that are more appropriate to their diet, and they may even be able to meet with a nutrition educator while they're here. Obviously, none of this happens in a vacuum. You have to fundraise for this. So how is that coming to get the new facility <laughs> and, and continue to get them? I mean, I realize you get donated food, of course, but there's still money that has to come in as well. That is correct. That is correct. And so um, we are moving forward uh, with a $40 million capital campaign to raise the dollars that are needed to build capacity. This includes the new Community Food Distribution Center, the renovations of South Waterloo, um, and while it's still early, um, I think we're off to a good good start. We're more than 25% of the way there, which we're thrilled about. We have a lot of work left to do. Um, uh, but, you know, the fact is we just, we just couldn't wait. We needed to get started right away because the urgency for this additional space is, it, it's so critical. It's been a busy year. So what's the thing you're really positive about for this upcoming year for the Greater Cleveland Food Bank? Um, I'm positive about the progress we're making with the, with the expansion project um, and about our ability to move that forward quickly. And frankly, the impact that that's going to have for so many Northeast Ohioans. Um, last year, we served more than 400,000 people. That's almost one in four people in our six county service area. Um, and so, you know, we know that we can serve 
even more people, although we hate that it's necessary and that we can serve our current clients better with this additional space. You know, another thing that I am feeling really good about when I look back on the past year is um, the way our community has stepped up. And by community, I, of course, meet, mean our team, our staff here who have been essential workers since day one. You know, the food bank never closed. It couldn't have closed because we would have had an entirely different crisis on our hands, a hunger crisis in our community. Um, but, you know, their passion and optimism and determination and, frankly, bravery, particularly at the beginning, is just a source of incredible inspiration for me. Um, you know, also grateful uh, to our board and our partners um, who've worked so hard to um, support our efforts and our partners who've figured out new ways to distribute food and to do it safely, um, as we have. You know, we've all been trying new things continually. And, you know, those are new things that I think uh, will serve us all well in the future. Um, and of course, the generosity of the community. You know, we bought last year, purchased twice as much food as we had the previous year to try to make sure when when donations decreased that we still had food for the community. This year, we're going to purchase twice as much food as we did last year. And so, you know, that wouldn't be possible without the wonderful financial contributions. And, um, and people have been very, very generous. And it's helping us do so much for the community. Christian Wazorka, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for all your good work and for everybody at the Food Bank. All of Northeast Ohio appreciates it. We really do. Well, thanks for your partnership. Great to be with you Christian today. Was, Christian Wazorka is the president and CEO of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank. She joined us for the Landscape of Crane's Cleveland podcast brought to you with the support of Medical Mutual. For our producer, Cody Smith, I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk again soon.